Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from the Quandle Studio right here in central Pennsylvania. Joined as always by my best friend in the world, Daisy, my boxer, my 11-year-old boxer, and joined as always by Chris Martin from the western part of the state. Chris, how are we doing today, sir? I'm doing well, John. I, th- I thought, wow, you, you, I've, I've been elevated there for a quick second. I thought, wow, this is, <laughs> this is great. I think you're my best friend, though, but that's okay. Right, I'll, I'll let Daisy kind of keeping you on your toes. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, everyone, welcome to Building PA Podcast. This is Chris Martin. I am president of Atlas Marketing, and you can check out uh, the stories that we tell for people who build things at atlasstories.com and. We, John and I have such a good time on here, but there's so many times when we recognize people in the industry or people in general have a, you know aren't always having as great a day as, as John and I are having. So, John, how do we uh, how do we get into this this topic here today with with our with our guest? We've had a, a few guests over the years kind of touch on mental health and and resources that are needed for the construction industry, and you know we've kind of danced on the outside, if you will, but we never really went right at the issue. And, and maybe it was because we didn't have a person to talk about, a person, you know, who who we trusted to carry a whole show to talk about it. But we have someone in, in my opinion, in my mind, you know, I think would, would do a great job talking about the topic of mental health and, and construction industry, not not just construction, beyond construction. Glad Matthew uh, St- Stefanko is uh, able to join us today. Uh, Matthew, welcome from Manuel, right? Did I say that right? The name of the company? Just Manuel is the is the company, yeah. But uh, yeah, really excited to be here, and I think it's um such a critical topic. And I think it, you know, the fact that a podcast like this is even willing to entertain the conversation, I think, shows how much progress we've made, you know, from our parents' generation on topics like this. So excited to dig into it. It's a big problem. There are uh, easy solutions, and there are harder solutions. Um, and I'm just excited to get the conversation rolling. Absolutely. Yeah. As you're very well aware, cause you've helped out in the past, we try and provide a lot of resources the past five, six years on, uh, addiction issues, opioid addiction, drug, alcohol addiction. And we still want to maintain that, that help and resource, but over the past probably year or so more employers are saying, Hey, this mental health is getting to be a bigger deal and maybe the pandemic played a role into that. And, um, you know, just kind of a topic that we definitely need to focus on and help out because I, I think our workers are hurting. Saw a stat a couple months ago and, and knowing that we had this interview today, I was trying to find the article. I couldn't find it, but it was something along the lines of one out of every five or one out of every 10 construction worker knows someone that has uh, committed suicide or has been on a job site or worked for a company that, that, that suicide has touched. And you just hear stuff like that and it just breaks your heart. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm speechless. Don't know what to say. So I'm just glad you're here. And uh, let's, let's talk some resources and talk our way through this. I mean, what do you think when you hear stats like that, Matt? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, um, I think it, uh, it's just one statistic of many, certainly, that we could cite as it relates to uh, construction workers. And I think, 
you know, more broadly the society. So if you kind of think about just like starting with the United States and then funneling all the way down to construction workers, you know, this is a United States issue, right? Mental health and substance use. We're seeing the highest rates of fatal overdoses in United States history. Suicide is rapidly increasing. And then, you know, we always talk about the the outcomes of, you know, a mental health issue or a substance use disorder. And we never, we always sort of gloss over the day-to-day kind of quality of life for people too, right? So not only do you have these really terrible outcomes, but you know, people broadly after the pandemic, et cetera, are just really struggling and hurting, right? So like that's the United States as a whole. When you sort of narrow in, and I know, John, we've talked about this, you know, my focus and Manuel's focus is certainly on kind of men's health specifically. When you look at men as sort of just a gender, they're much more inclined to die from overdoses or suicide than, you know, the national average. Men are five to six times, depending where you are geographically, uh, maybe four to six times more likely to die by suicide, you know, two to three times more likely to die by overdose. And so, you know, you have this kind of men's problem, right? And then when you narrow into the construction industry, which is both operating within the United States and has a high proportion of men in the workforce and a job that can be difficult in many ways, right? Can trigger some of the things that might, you know, generate substance use, right? Something like uh, getting hurt or anything that has, you know, sort of manual labor involved. And, you know, it exacerbates that issue. We know that, um, you know, construction workers are, are two times more likely than the national average to have a substance use disorder. Certainly suicide rates, I think you were citing, you know, a number that that is, is also really scary. So yeah, that's what I think about when I hear the statistics, right? Is that it's sort of this, this sort of funnel problem that, you know, is getting put on the doorstep of um, the construction industry. And I think the the other thing I would say is beyond the need to do this for like the right and good human reasons, I think, John, we've talked about sort of the significant impact that it has on the workforce. You know, we we do uh, work with universities and we see, you know, universities struggling to enroll and retain young men. That's going to have, you know, an issue when you're looking to hire you know, folks with undergraduate degrees, when you're looking to hire people out of high school, if they're not prepared, if they're struggling with their mental health. I know we we joked about whether or not our product, which is sort of tailored towards younger men, would be useful for the industry, right, which has, you know, older men. And I think one of the questions I asked is like, is that the goal, right, to have sort of this aging workforce? And of course, it's not, right? It's you're trying to figure out how to excite and entice people to the industry, and I think providing a good solution here is, is one way that you can do that. So I think there's a lot of ways we can go in the conversation, but those are just a few thoughts. Question for you here then, why is construction so high compared to other industries? Yeah, well, I think it starts, you know, kind of with what I was saying, right? I think you, you can look at just the statistics of the demographic of people, right, that are hurting in the country, right? So it's in my perspective, right, is you're taking a population that, and I can talk a little bit about why I think this is the case that is more apt to be struggling already. And then you're putting them in an industry that puts, you know, certain demands on them that isn't the same demands as it might put on, you know, other industries, right? So, yeah, I mean, I always start with thinking of this as a sort of, you know, men's problem, uh, not entirely or completely, but just statistically where we see a lot of that. You know, I think it comes down to a few things, right? A lot of men were raised to think that their, you know, jobs and their workplace was where they get a lot of their satisfaction and sense of being. If that starts to not happen as much, 
if you haven't sort of filled out the rest of your life, you can really struggle. That's certainly one thing that can lead to, you know, something like suicidal ideation. Certainly there are more substances and scarier substances available than ever before. I think a lot of people talk about fentanyl. That certainly drives overdose deaths. And, and, you know, broadly speaking, a lot of men are becoming more and more disconnected from society. And those are, I mean, those are big, big questions of why is that happening and, and the drivers of it, certainly social media, political divisiveness, not going to school, universities, not, you know, holding up their end of the bargain, whatever it might be. Um, and then I think you get this very concentrated effect in construction because one, you have so many men. Two, I still think there's a lot of stigma. Right. So if you're in an industry where there's a lot of stigma, if you're struggling with something, you're probably not coming to the work site and saying, hey, I'm going through some things. Could you, you know, help me out? Um, and I think broadly speaking, like I do think that, you know, sort of more, you know, manual labor industries and, or, you know, labor that is sort of, uh, you know, not sitting behind a computer. I'm not sure if they've caught up to the value of mental health and working on that. Right. It's sort of like, well, let's deal with the physical health problems. And maybe haven't made the connection that mental health issues and substance use issues are going to start to become a problem for them. And so they're a little bit behind the, you know, the the sort of, you know, Fortune 500 companies that have been rolling out, you know, big mental health solutions over the last few years. So, Matthew, let me ask you this then, you know, as a business owner, what and so you mentioned, you know, where this conversation can go. And I think it's I think it's you've given us a great foundation and definition of what mental health is as it relates to the construction industry. But now what are some things that one, as a business owner, I should be looking out for in my team. And then how does that translate to, for lack of a better term, a, a, a transient workforce where you're going from job site to job site to job site for our industry. So what are some things that, that people in this industry can start to look for that will be something that can say, hey, you know, John, Matt, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. And, and what can we start to do to, to help that move along? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I always like to start with like, you should sit down with the people that are on your team and figure out whether or not this is going on with them and, and approach it in a way that's more accessible. That's, you know, when we talk with universities, right, another population of men who don't want to be open about a whole lot of things, right? You're talking about college-aged guys. You got to ask the questions in the right way. And typically, you kind of have to ask the questions when it's um, not a time of crisis or when you're trying to intervene, right? I think a lot of people who are trying to support their teams through mental health, substance use issues, you're waiting until the guy's not showing up to work on time or you're waiting. And that's when you're making that phone call and saying, hey, is everything okay? If someone's in that point, it's tough to get interventions to them, right? Versus saying, you know, to your workforce, right? Just like you might ask them about the conditions at the site or anything else, you know, going on of like, what's the quality of working here? You know, are you struggling with things? Here's what we're, you know, here's what we're seeing in the industry broadly. Do you know guys that are going through this? You know, what would be useful to you? I always think that's one of the first steps. I think people always jump to solutions versus saying like, what is it that this particular pro population is dealing with? Because if you're building solutions that don't take into account what the people want, they're not going to use it, right? So that's, I think, one one thing. The other thing I would say, and I think this is kind of like a very simple 
just like human piece of advice more than any sort of expert advice is everyone has struggled with something at some point. And typically, especially if you're managing a team and you're talking with people on, you know, that are more junior or whatever, that first barrier or hump to get to, uh, to get over is it's okay for you to talk about what's going on. And typically the best way to do that is if you're in a position of privilege or power to share your own perspective on what you've gone through, right? Even if it's not a mental health issue, every single person has been very stressed or anxious or probably cried at some point in their life, right? Like those things have just happened. Now, whether that's in private or whatever, there's been a trigger of that. And so when I talk with people, I always start with like my journey and what I've been going through. Uh, and then I ask that question of like, does this sound like anything that you've gone through or the people that you know are going through? It sounds so simple, but I find that getting over that first barrier is usually really helpful. And if you, as someone who's in that position of privilege or power, can initiate that dialogue, it, you'd be surprised at how many people then open up. I've been talking with dozens of men over the last year, year and a half. The number of guys who have come to me after I've shared my story and said, you're the first person I've talked to about this. And I'm talking to guys who like have been married for 30 years and they just met me like they barely know me, but they feel some sense of openness because I've just shared that I struggled with mental health and I had anxiety issues and I burned out from a job, all that kind of stuff. It made a big difference. So, you know, I have to think a little bit more on the transient piece. That's tough. I, you know, it's, it's obviously harder when people are moving in and out. I don't have a great answer there, but I do think some of the things I spoke to, you know, can apply still. Well, that was good. Thank you. Yeah, really good. At the beginning of the show, we talked about some kind of scary stats from our industry. Other industries that perhaps are ahead of us when it comes to helping out in mental health and, and you mentioned universities, are they, are they doing anything different or anything that uh, noteworthy you'd like to comment on? Or Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, I think I'm a bit of a cynical person despite my like directional optimism. I don't think anybody's like really nailing it right now, right? I, I think it's when you're seeing the outcomes that you're seeing, it, it, no one's sort of perfect in this space. I'll say a few things that I think are, I think interventions that do a few things or abide by a certain level of principle, I think are the ones that excite me the most, right? So one being, you know, evidence-based, right? That you're working with things that have been researched to work. There's a lot of, you know, really bad stuff out there that isn't evidence-based. Clinicians aren't a part of it. And there's no evidence that it works that you'd be surprised at how far, you know, it can get along. So, you know, that's one. Two, I look at interventions that are meeting whoever they're serving where they are. If you're trying to apply mental health solution that worked at Google to, you know, contractors in central Pennsylvania, you're probably starting in the wrong spot. Right. Um, and, and, and vice versa. Right. Like just people come from different backgrounds and they want their support and solutions to reflect where they're from. So I think anybody who thinks about that and being really sort of user focused in that way or, or sort of just person focused, I think is really good. And then I just think about things that are, you know, scalable and like cost efficient. Right. Like therapy is awesome. And if we could get everybody into therapy, I'd be super supportive of that, but it's expensive and there are a lot of barriers and certain people do need it, right? Like that is the thing you need. But I think there's a lot in the middle. I, I speak to too many guys who feel like their solutions are Google, 
or therapy. And that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty distant, uh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big gulf, you know, uh, you'd hope that there would be, Hey, I could text a friend or there's a group of guys that I can always talk to, or, you know, there's a set of books that I really like or whatever it might be. And most guys, if you ask them how they'd fix their mental health, they'd say, I'd either have to go figure out how to get to a therapist, screw that, or I Google it. That's not a good option set, right? So interventions that are trying to figure out that middle, I also get really excited about. So I don't know if that's helpful. I know it's not like a specific place to look, but more kind of a set of principles of how I think about whether or not something's going to end up helping people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's helpful. There's not a blueprint. You know, everyone's kind of different and and I get that. Um, so early on, you know, probably 2017, like I mentioned earlier, we started doing a lot in the in the field of opioid resources. And I like how you touched on earlier about employers and, and you know, the supervisors giving that personal story and, and really sharing and opening opening up. And that was something we really stressed those first three, four years was, you know, we have a sticker to put on your insurance card that says opioids warn me. And it wasn't the significance of the sticker. You know, after you're registered at a hospital or wherever, or the doctor's office, you don't show that you don't show that card again. The significance that we kept telling our employers and our contractors is it's you, Mr. President, you know, you, Mr. Superintendent who's in charge of the job site. It's important for you when you deliver that sticker and give it to them, make that personal message and open up and, you know, it makes the job site tighter. It lets people understand, lets you know that you care about them. And I really thought we were heading in the right direction and I, we were really making a great impact. And then 2020 hits and it's it's like we're back to ground zero again. And I feel like we have to restart and just throw everything away and start from scratch. Are, are you how did how did the pandemic hit you and your outreach and the resources that you provide? Did it change in the way that you operate at all? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question, and I, I, I think a lot of people in the industry feel very similarly, right? And you see it in the data, right? It finally felt like we were turning some sort of corner, and then, you know, it got really difficult. I mean, certainly from a personal standpoint, you know, I can speak to myself. Like, I had I thought I had sort of conquered this mental health giant in my own life, you know, in my early 20s, and it came roaring back right in the pandemic. So I, I've seen so many and talked with so many people that, you don't even kind of realize how much it affects you until it affects you. And then you're like, oh, this thing is still there. And I thought, you know, it'd been dealt with. So I think it's reflective of what we're seeing broadly. I don't know if I have some super like magical uh, idea. I think it is, you got to double down and get back to it. I think the stuff that was working a few years ago is still probably stuff that's going to keep working, but you need to keep doing it and doing more of it. And, you know, especially with with drug use, I mean, fentanyl is a very uniquely scary thing that's come onto the scene, right? And so I do think it, I guess the one thing getting more into some of my experience in sort of the, the you know, addiction world is I do think it sort of means we need to think more actively about harm reduction strategies, right? Like I think a lot of people, you know, a few years ago, five, 10 years ago, you you could potentially overdose and it not be fatal, right? Like that there was a, there was a good percentage of overdoses that weren't necessarily fatal or the amount of time in which, you know, EMTs and other could arrive was was more significant. With fentanyl, you're talking about, you know, minutes, right, before someone potentially, you know, overdosing and not even knowing that that's a part of 
you know, what they're using. And so, you know, sort of separate from kind of the men's health stuff, but just my general belief is like, if the likelihood that someone uses a drug for the first time or, you know, has a recurrence of use, if the likelihood that they're going to overdose is really, really high, you better be investing in things that are going to save that person's life so that you can get them into treatment and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say, you know, keep doing a lot of the stuff we've already been doing, but, you know, do a little bit more of an effort on, uh, you know, some things that are going to save lives in the moment, because some of these folks that are overdosing don't even know, you know, what drugs uh, are in kind of the, the cocktail of what they're taking, which is a really scary place to be. On that note, I had a surgery a couple of years ago. Nothing crazy, nothing, nothing elaborate, pretty run-of-the-mill stuff. As I was checking out, the nurse came back and said, hold on a second. She went back and she had to go and confirm with the doctor. The prescription was 100 oxycodone. And I literally, I looked at my wife and I said, like, I don't even want to take the prescription. I keep it. And the nurse literally said, take it and just throw it out. And, and like, I don't proclaim to, to, to say I'm better than anybody else. But the fact that a doctor is giving me 100 pills that have that type of an impact on something that could be so addicting, like, I never took one. I literally we never, we never even got the prescription filled. But the fact that, and and I'm, trust me, I'm not putting, putting the finger anywhere, but that has a big impact on, on somebody's mental health. Well, you know, I could have easily said, hell, the doctor told me to take it, you know, but you know, that aspect in, in, in having this conversation, just to talk, even though I know we're not talking specifically about drug use, but the, the aspect of mental health and how it how it really has such an impact on your day-to-day life is so important. And I, I can't emphasize that we need to have more of these conversations. I know, John, you, you and I have talked about this before, and, and I know we'll have these conversations more and more, but we're just one element, you know, one element of the industry. We've got to keep having more and more conversations. Yeah. And, and Chris, I would just say, you know, I know, I think you're highlighting a lot of really important pieces. And one thing I would just say is like, there's a huge correlation between mental health issues and substance use issues, right? So those things are absolutely related, right? If you have a mental health issue, you are much more likely to struggle with substances, you know, and I would just encourage people, I think, you know, uh, this is not medical advice, I am not, you know, a, a provider. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to be really careful with, you know, opioids and other things. I uh, had an inguinal hernia surgery a couple of years ago because um, I thought I was stronger than than I was apparently uh, and uh, lifted too much and you're not alone. We you all know, do that. And uh, yeah, I I just you know white knuckled through the Advil or or uh, whatever I took you know acetaminophen and and you know for that reason and so you know encouraging people to be careful if you know that your family has had an issue with substance use it, you know it, it doesn't get talked about enough but substance use is a chronic disease and it's, uh, you know, much of it is genetic, right? So if your dad struggled with it or your mom struggled with it or your, or your family struggled with it, I would be really careful, you know, Chris, to your point, when you're getting prescribed opioids or, or with even substances like alcohol, right? Because you are genetically predisposed to, you know, this disease, right? Which is, you know, people don't think of it that way. Um, they think of it, uh, you know, as, you know, a decision that someone makes, but, 
Um, you know, if your family uh, was more likely to have diabetes or skin cancer, you probably are more likely to, you know, eat a little bit healthier or not go outside in the sun as much. And we don't kind of practice that safety around substance use. And, uh, and, and it's a real, you know, it's a real scary issue. So yeah, I think all the points you're hitting on are, are spot on. And it's good just for individuals to just be smart about it before it can, you know, cascade into something worse. Well, Matthew, I have to say, you know, this has been a very eye-opening conversation just from, from the, the, the statistics that John shared with us earlier and some of the things that you shared. I, I want to thank you for being a part of the Building Pay podcast. And, and I'm quite confident that we'll have more conversations about this because this is, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, Matthew. No, thank you for having me. Always happy to chat and uh, uh, hopefully be a resource for uh, whoever um, is excited about kind of exploring this work and, and figuring out how to how to help a lot of folks who are, uh, you know, going through it. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew, on behalf of the KCA. You've helped us out in the past and great, great relationship we have going here. So let's keep it moving uh, going forward. So thank you. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.